This podcast is brought to you by Excess Energy Drinks and Excess Sports Nutrition, exclusively from Amway. Excess offers a collection of active and adventure products to help you energize, hydrate, strengthen, and recover. Follow us on Instagram at Excess Nation. It's inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports, the college football podcast that gives fans the inside scoop on who's moving up, who's moving down, and what's happening with all the big news of the week. Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg will take you through this week's poll, interview coaches, and break down the sport like nobody else. Starting now. And welcome back to another edition of the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll presented by USA Today Sports. I'm Dan Wolkin, joined by Paul Meyerberg. Later in the show, talking to Lou Holtz, the legend who received the Presidential Medal of Freedom recently. And talked to Lou about uh, that, as well as the college football season. Uh, noted that the interview actually took place before this weekend's game, so uh, it is not playoff-related. But we are going to talk playoff right now, Paul. The results are in just a moment ago on ESPN. It was announced that Alabama is number one. Clemson is number two. Ohio State is number three. And Notre Dame is number four, beating out Texas A&M for the final spot. That means that in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans on January 1st, we will have Ohio State and Clemson playing yet again in the playoff. And – in the Rose Bowl or Bowl to be named later in uh, Dallas, we will have Alabama versus Notre Dame. It is big brands, big fan bases, teams that have been here before. And I can't say that I'm surprised by anything that went down. Well, I guess I'm surprised by the, the locations, right? I mean, not that they're not at the Rose Bowl, but that Alabama and Notre Dame are going to be in the cotton, I guess is a little bit surprising. I mean, my anticipation and most people going in was that they choose the sugar based on proximity, but I guess there's an argument for not being close if you're Alabama or being in a different environment. Yeah. You know, I don't know what went into that and, and whether Alabama had a significant preference, I guess my thought was that maybe because the uh, Clemson Ohio state game probably would would be or projects to be a better game that you put that one in in the primetime slot and and the sugar is contractually in that spot and that maybe because you you move the Rose Bowl from Dallas which we can get into in a second that for Alabama it really didn't make any difference at all whether they're flying to to New Orleans or Dallas um I don't know I, I don't maybe we'll find out what what the difference was but yeah I was a little surprised by that I I, I just sort of had in my mind penciled in Alabama to the sugar but yeah in a year where there's not you're not bringing fans I guess it doesn't really matter yeah and besides I mean Alabama could play Notre Dame on the moon and they'd beat them by 21 I don't, I don't that part of it doesn't really matter to me I don't think the location matters that much for Alabama in terms of the opponent which we'll get into but um yeah I, these are four after a year in which we've talked a lot about TV ratings or thought a lot about it or about general fan interest or about readership, um, these are two matchups for teams that'll move the needle and not just move the needle for college football fans. I think if you're just a sports fan, um, an Alabama Notre Dame matchup um, piques your interest. So I think we'll see huge numbers um, if maybe not two completely competitive games. 
Yeah. And just to clarify, let's start with this topic of the Rose Bowl being pulled out of Pasadena. Uh, This was a story that kind of bubbled up over the course of the last week. And it's something I think we'd referenced before. It's something I had talked about before that as you got closer to the playoff and it became clear that there was not going to be a West Coast team in the mix for this thing, that it made less and less sense to play a semifinal in the Rose Bowl in this particular year. Uh, having these teams based in the Eastern time zone or the Central time zone fly all the way out to California. This year, these bowl trips are not going to be a week. They're going to be two days. It's in and out. It's minimal exposure. It's no none of the events that go along with these bowl games. It's a total business trip like a regular road game. And so you were hearing more and more grumbling from the schools potentially involved about having to haul out to California for that, especially with, frankly, uh, the, the COVID situation in California, not, not good. And uh, you weren't going to be able to bring friends and family to the game. There were going to be no fans at all allowed per local restrictions. So uh, it just made more and more sense to, to move it. And they finally got to that decision on Saturday night. Uh, they're going to play a semifinal and it's unclear if it will be called the Rose bowl or not, but it will be played at AT&T stadium uh, just outside of Dallas. So that's how we got there. And uh, I think certainly a, a prudent decision on a lot of levels and just easier for everybody. Now let's start with the real decision. The committee had to make here was at number four. And it's just very, very clear that the way it all shook out, I advocated for Cincinnati. I thought in a year where there was no awesome slam dunk candidate for number four that put Cincinnati in, they finished off an unbeaten year. Uh, they, they got the win over Tulsa in the AC championship game. I knew it wasn't going to happen. All right. Uh, it was very clear from the beginning that the committee did not like Cincinnati that much. And it just, it, the bar has been set for a, a group of five team to get in the playoff. That is just so high that it will probably never be met. So it really came down to Notre Dame who lost by 24 to Clemson Saturday. You were at that game versus Texas A&M, who had the 28-point loss to Alabama early in the season, the win over Florida, and and not much else uh, on the resume. And, you know, in theory, you could have put Oklahoma in that discussion, but just the way this committee has operated for seven years now, an Oklahoma team with two losses just wasn't going to get in. So, realistically, it was A&M versus Notre Dame, uh, Paul, did the committee make the right decision and did the committee make the decision that you expected? They made the decision we all expected. I think if you thought A&M was going to leap ahead, you, you probably were a little bit clouded by by your own um, fandom or whatever. Because, look, we, we have history to go off. We had six years going into this of history. Notre Dame had more wins overall, more Power 5 wins, more Top 25 wins. It was a no-brainer. Um, so you go off all those metrics, there was really no reason – truly to expect A&M to move ahead. And there's really, I mean, honestly, A&M really doesn't have a case. They're a good football team. They've got two wins against teams with a winning record. One top 25 win. Um, They've beaten up on a really bad run of teams and opponents from the East, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, South Carolina. So I don't really know where A&M's case always kind of laid. Does that mean that A&M would give Alabama a better game than Notre Dame? 
potentially, but that's not what really what it's about. I think Notre Dame had earned this spot and their resume earned it over Texas A&M. So not only was it the right pick, or, not, or rather, not only was it the pick that we all expected, I do think it was the right pick. Yeah, at the end of the day, we, we talk about the machinations of the selection committee ad nauseum every year, and we try to project how do they look at this, how do they look at that. But at the end of the day, it's always a pretty simple calculation, and, and they're very, very predictable in, in how they go about this. And this was not that close of a call if you're just boiling it down to – A&M versus uh, uh, Notre Notre Dame. And look, if you want to go pure eye test, like I don't think there's a dime's worth of difference between A&M and Notre Dame. Uh, I I think if you were looking at like momentum, you could have put Oklahoma in there because I think Oklahoma is playing really well. And frankly, I think that would be a much more interesting game to see them against uh, Alabama. But that's just not the way they do it. Now, maybe they should, right? Maybe they, they, they could be more creative and look at this and say, you know, boy, those two Oklahoma losses early in the season, they're a different team now and they're playing great defensively. And uh, they, they, you know, they beat a really good Iowa state team and, and you know what, let's, let's just give them a shot, but that's not the way they do it. They, they pretty much go, you know, by the, by the data and the data in this scenario was that that strength of schedule was was basically the overall strength of schedule metric was basically dead even between uh, between those two teams, and Notre Dame's best win was better than A and M's best win, and then the second best win was better than A and M's second best win. North Carolina, you can say whatever you want about the SEC versus ACC or, or whatever else. And, and Jimbo Fisher came out Saturday after they beat Tennessee and said, well, you know, no team from the SEC with one loss has ever not made the playoff before. Okay, fine. But the reality of the situation is that their second best win was over Auburn, a team that was not ranked and a team that frankly just fired its coach. And – Notre Dame's second best win was over North Carolina, who the committee ranked 13th. It's no, no contest. It's, it's, so they have a similar loss, and yet Notre Dame's two best wins are better than A&M's two best wins. I, it's, that's really all it boils down to, and the committee is nothing if not predictable on those points. Yeah, I, I think um, when you think about five and six, I'm much more interested in the Oklahoma question because it's pretty obvious looking at them landing at six. If you redo Kansas state, they're in one loss, Oklahoma, no doubt they're in. Um, And that's gotta be hugely disappointing to a degree for Oklahoma. Um, I think maybe for the fans, they realize that this is not, this was almost a rebuilding year in a sense. So it's a heck of an accomplishment to win the big 12 and finish number six. I think maybe there are some OU fans who don't want to face in Alabama and the semis get bombed again. Um, but yeah, Oklahoma to me is much more of an intriguing story than, than Texas A&M. And look, a lot of people have said, and I, and I agree, if we're going to talk about which team you want to put in because they look the part and you think they can win a national championship, maybe a la Ohio state in 2014, you put Georgia in because Georgia with JT Daniels the last few weeks, maybe the last month has been outstanding. So to me, that's the big storyline, the big subplot. When you look at, you know, five through eight, five through nine, um, I think there's a huge gap between four and five in the committee's eyes. I think the five through eight gap is it's much more um, uh, flexible and pliable, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I tweeted this and AM fans were mad at me, but I actually think this is a pretty good outcome overall for AM because let, let's, let's just be real. They they would have been they would have been bombed again by by Alabama. Like it would it, I don't think the second meeting would have gone any different from the first, which was a 28-point game that was not all that competitive. And yet no, this was 100% better than, and I'm, you're exactly, I'm sorry to interrupt you yeah. 100% because they now will face an Indiana, uh, uh, who knows, whatever they face an Indiana style team in a new Year's six bowl who they'll beat by 14 or 17 points, go into the off season with a shot, probably at being number four in the final poll if Bama beats Notre Dame. And that's huge momentum. And it's such a different momentum than going into a semi, even if you make a playoff and lose by 25. So if I'm a and I play angry, but I'm actually happy. This is a good outcome. Yeah, and and they'll get and their fans will get to say they were robbed forever. <laughs> they'll, they'll they'll forever say they were robbed. And A&M something could, could declare a national championship for this. They've been known. There there is something to be said for the the grievance, and <laughs> and I think that whether it's real or imagined, they they will be able to uh, to to claim something like that. All right, let's talk about Ohio State at number three. Because this was also a team that, that, frankly, if you talk to a lot of people around college football, the fact that, that Ohio State is basically getting, I don't want to say gifted a spot in the playoff, but they, it was allowed, uh, they were allowed to play a season in which they, they only had six data points. And, you know, it wasn't always their fault. I mean, you can go back to the very beginning with the Big Ten and the issues getting off the ground, COVID outbreak at Ohio State, COVID outbreak with some of their opponents, including Michigan. It, it just it, – it was what it was, right? And Ohio State only had six opportunities to go play. And when they played the two best teams on their schedule, which was Indiana and uh, and Saturday in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, they, they were not a – they did not look dominant. They, they did enough to win, but the games were, were very competitive and it was not a, a blow you away, Ohio state team. And is there any merit to the criticism that they only had to do a little more than half as much as some of these other teams. And because they didn't lose, they got in. And yet, you know, from a resume standpoint, it's not like they had an awesome resume. Is there something to the criticism? Yeah, there definitely is. I just don't know what to make of it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like everyone, like these two ideas are up in the air. The first is that Ohio state only played six games. That's not totally fair when you have other teams playing nine, 10, 11. True. Um, and then you have this idea that everyone knows they're one of the four best teams in the country. It's just like this weird consensus opinion. We've all agreed. They are one of the four best teams in the country. And I think playing Clemson, a team that they've thought about for 11 months might be a wake-up call. And you see them on, on January 1st play the game that we've expected all season and beat Clemson and look like a powerhouse. Um, you can argue for them not to be in. I just don't know how you don't put them in. It's such a dilemma. I, I really can't wrap my head around it because I think they deserve it because I think they're one of the four best teams, but have they achieved that during the year? I don't know. And also does that matter? It really doesn't. The committee's job is not to depict the most deserving. It's to pick the best. Yeah. I think that when you, when you look at Ohio state, uh, they, they do get a pass for being Ohio state for the brand. 
But guess what? They're not the only ones. Alabama gets that too. In, in 2017, Alabama, if you just went straight resume, got into the playoff as a, as, as a non-division winner, non-conference champion, and ended up winning the whole thing. And it's not like their resume was amazing. But they, they get a benefit of the doubt because they're Alabama, because everybody knows the players they recruit and the stars that they have and who their coach is that, that maybe other teams aren't afforded. And the same is true of Ohio State. And that's, that's the system we have. You know, if this were an eight-team playoff, I think nobody would have any complaints. You know, if it, they, they get in and then, you know what? Some of these other teams, whether it's Cincinnati or, or A&M or whoever, they also get in. And then we, we play it out. And frankly, I, I think that would be just fine if that's what they want to do. But there's only four spots. And so the committee had to evaluate Ohio State based on what they had done, not based on what they didn't do or what they weren't allowed to do because of the stupid nature of this season. And – I think just when you come out, you know, both sides of that ledger, the net effect is that they're one of the four that, that has to be in. And I just, I, 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 I don't, I know why it doesn't feel totally right, but I, I just don't have a great, like you, I don't have a great solution to it. Well, again, it comes down to me, like, who are you going to put in instead? Yeah. Ohio state's got two top 25 wins, two top 15 wins. Yeah. A&M has one. Ohio State has six power five wins. A&M has eight. Ohio State has as many wins against winning teams as, as Texas A&M does. So, look, they might be more deserving of fourth than third, but look, you're not going to have Notre Dame and Clemson play for the third time this season. So that's part of it as well, why they're in third. But um, if you have another team to put in, please tell me, because I can't think of one. I, I agree. Uh, number two was was Clemson. And you were there in Charlotte to watch them steamroll Notre Dame in the ACC championship game. I will say the beginning of this game, I, I thought it was going to be really a, a classic. I, Notre Dame had three great drives to start that game. Their defense was, was lively. Um, and they only got three points out of those drives. They, they missed a field goal. Uh, there was just a very small uh, error by the receiver on a fourth and three play that was wide open. He he just couldn't couldn't secure the catch. Kind of outran outran the catch a little bit, and um, you know otherwise the and and frankly you know Notre Dame probably could have and should have punched it in on the opening series as well. So it, it looked like they were going to be in it, but then all of a sudden they come up empty on those drives, and it just almost looked like the whole atmosphere for their sideline changed, and and it. it I didn't see the same belief like that they could be in there and, and Clemson just took off. Yeah. I thought there were two, two things early that, that stood out to me. Um, one was James Skowski back at linebacker. He had several key plays on those opening drives to hold them to field goals. Um, he was outstanding all game long and you could tell how much of a difference he makes when he's on the field for Clemson compared to November. Um, wow. The second missed field goal was big for Notre Dame. Uh, you know, obviously that missed fourth down conversion, but I, I thought the game changed. And the air went out of Notre Dame, like you said, on the long touchdown pass from Lawrence to Rogers. Um, I thought that touchdown pass in the first um, felt like if you were Notre Dame, you had outplayed Clemson for seven or eight minutes. 
you've probably felt, Hey, we should be up 14, nothing. And then all of a sudden you're down seven, three, and it doesn't feel like, you know, anything of those gains that you had early mean anything anymore. So yeah. I thought that was a real game changing moment for Notre Dame. Look, the big story for Clemson, I'm not going to say based off beating Notre Dame, they can beat Alabama. That's crazy. Um, I mean, they can, but not just because they beat Notre Dame, but you saw a complete football team on Saturday against the Irish. So I don't think there should be any questions anymore about whether Clemson can win the national championship. They clearly can. If you're, if you had overlooked them the previous two months, I think that was a wake up call. Yeah. It really feels like this whole thing has basically just been a, a big prelude to yet another Alabama Clemson meeting. And look, maybe Ohio state in the next 11 days will improve significantly as a football team, but it, it just feels like, they have not had the same opportunity for a variety of reasons to kind of get the rhythm, to, to coalesce, to build to the place where they're playing their, their peak football that, that Clemson has. And of course, this has been kind of a, a feature of, of Dabo Sweeney's program where they play their best football this time of year. And it, it's, it certainly seems like uh, they, will relish yet another opportunity to, uh, to, to beat Ohio state. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, look, uh, this is a great matchup and I don't know if we want to discuss who we're picking to win at this point. We'll probably do another pop before the game, but, yeah. um, I think this is, I think it's an awesome matchup. I think it's two teams that never lack for motivation. Ohio state clearly looking back on, on January and, and focusing on that, on what they felt like was a game that was taken away from them. Um, the intrigue in the other one is, is lacking except for the name on the helmets. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this sugar bowl. I, I think Clemson, Ohio state has a chance to, to meet up to the hype. And then let's talk about Alabama. Number one, no surprise. I was in Mercedes Benz stadium Saturday to watch the SEC championship. Uh, it was actually the first football game I've seen in person this season. It's very, very strange. I must say, because I, I've seen, I've, just about every SEC championship in person going back to, gosh, I don't know, like 2011, 12, something like that. And uh, it's always such a great day. You know, I live in Atlanta, and so that weekend you, you get both fan bases coming out. They're filling the streets. They're filling the bars. It's a, it's a big party all weekend long. It's just a great sort of atmosphere around downtown. And yet it was just flat. You know, the stadium was, there were a few thousand people, but I mean, it was, you know, it was a, it was a pandemic experience and the, it's just no atmosphere. It was just very, very odd. Uh, and yet the game was good. You know, the game was what, I mean, the, it was the, the, quintessential big 12 game played in the sec for the sec title. It, it was the evolution of what this league has become on full display. And, you know, Alabama, basically they're, they're up two scores for most of the second half. And it's like a tennis match, just back and forth. Who's going to break serve. And, and Alabama did got, got a big turnover uh, from, from Trask to, to make it a two touchdown game. And, and that was kind of it. It ends up 52 two to 46 and you know, the Alabama gives up 462 yards of offense and, and 46 points. And after the game, Nick Saban, 
in the press conference basically shrugged your shoulders and was like, Hey, what, what are we supposed to do about that? They they've got, they've got, they've got, uh, you know, they, they've got an incredible offense. Like what are we supposed to do? And it's like, it's to hear Saban kind of just in full acceptance of that. It's, it's so wild given what, you know, five, you know, six, six years ago, is this what we want football to be? And it, yeah, it's what it is now. And, you know, I think for Alabama to be in a little bit of a dogfight is probably good for them. We, I go back to the, the game in Tampa that they lost where they lost to Clemson in, for the championship that season, Alabama had not really been challenged by anybody until the title game. And it got close in the fourth quarter and Clemson was just a, a tougher team down the stretch and, and, and won that game. I always will wonder, you know, had Alabama played a close game earlier in the year, had they, would they have been better prepared for that? Well, now I think it's the same situation and I think they will be better prepared for having to kind of grit it out in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's a good point. And it actually, I think Saban said that I was watching the CBS broadcast here. I think he said that right on TV in his post-game broadcast. Hey, it's good that we got pushed a little bit. Um, and yeah, and recent history tells us in terms of Alabama, when they go in as number one, uh, things don't go that well for them in the playoffs. So maybe having a, a close call with Florida needing to play 60 minutes will benefit them. Um, yeah, anyone also familiar with recent history knows that for Saban to not – you know, blow his top at giving up 460 yards and 46 points is a huge evolution in college football. Certainly the SEC evolution as first and foremost in terms of how offenses have taken over college football. Um, you saw Mac Jones, you saw Devontae Smith, you saw Najee Harris. I don't know if you vote for the Heisman. I don't think you do. I don't. But is there a guy who stands out like if you did, if you were going to vote, any one of those three stand out to you last night? I think Harris is not going to win it. But between Smith and Jones, where do you stand watching them in terms of who's more important to what Alabama is doing? Man, I don't know. I mean, they're just they're they're all so critical. And the thing is, I think they may end up splitting the vote. The Alabama yeah, guys may end up splitting the vote. Now, who does that? Who then slides in? Does does Trevor Lawrence, because of what he did yesterday? get a late push and maybe take advantage of that split. I don't know, but it's certainly possible. And look, if I were voting, I, I don't know how I would, I would do it. I really don't. Well, I voted and those are the three guys I voted for. <clears throat> and you're not allowed say to say order. more. Yeah. Right. But those are the three guys I voted for. Um, I, I don't know how you stop Alabama and all this stuff about Alabama's defense is bad. And, and they, they, you know, they give up, they give up 40 points four times this year or 400 yards, four times this year. It's not inaccurate, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you stop Alabama. I don't know how you do. And if they just simply outscore their way to the national championship in 2020, um, it'll be, it'll just be wild considering the the direction and the trajectory of, of this dynasty under Saban, that this would be the next step in its evolution. That would be crazy, but they could do that. They're that good. Yeah. And look, I, I think you do have to, when it's all said and done, give a lot of credit to Mac Jones. Now, I don't know if he's the best player in the country, the best player in college football, but someone's got to throw the passes. You know, they, they've got incredible playmakers, incredible talent, but at the end of the day, you do have to get the ball out on time accurately and not make mistakes. You've got to, the quarterback's got to be the one reading the defense, seeing those guys open. It's not as easy as it looks. You know, and I, I think that, that there's a good case to be made for him winning it. 
yeah, he does make it look easy, which is a testament to him. I, I, I really dislike people who say that he's a system QB or That's feeding garbage. off of Smith and those guys. Yeah, totally ridiculous. He's had an outstanding season. Um, it won't be Trask. You know, it's those three guys, and, and you know, they'll announce them on Christmas Eve, the finalists, and, and we'll see on, I think, January 5th. Uh, let's just talk a little bit here about another game that took place over the weekend in the Pac-12. And I mean, at this point, like the Pac-12, you know, it might as well be might as well be five years ago. But uh, Friday night, Oregon did beat USC 31-24, which means that Oregon at four and two is going to be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game despite not having won their division. They were a replacement for Washington how do you feel about that? I think if you're the Pac-12, you've done yourself um, a disservice, obviously, by not having USC play uh, a Colorado in a championship game. I know that sounds kind of silly, but you play Colorado, you kind of ensure that that USC gets in. That's very disrespectful to Colorado, but let's just be fair. Um, well, no, I mean, the USC-Colorado should have played, and the winner of that game would have broken the tie, or the winner of that game would have won the division. And since the other division winner was not could not play due to COVID, it would have been perfectly reasonable to play USC Colorado and say the winner of this game goes to the Fiesta Bowl. Totally, yeah. I mean, I think it it would have been every other conference this year has made adjustments to the schedules. ACC uh, turned things around very late to have Clemson and Notre Dame meet um, in the championship game and remove any chance of a loss. Um, the Pac-12 did not do that. Um, and look, you'll have a two-loss Oregon team back in a New Year's Six Bowl. They're a good football team. Um, it's a disappointment for USC, disappointment for the Pac-12. They couldn't put an unbeaten team into the uh, into the final weekend of the playoff. Look, I don't know about you. If USC was sitting there at 6-0, maybe they're number five. Maybe they're number four. They put Ohio State in at 6-0. So that's a real missed opportunity for the Pac-12. Uh, typical disappointment, but definitely a chance that they blew, I think, going down the stretch. All right, let's uh, take a quick look at this week's Amway Coaches Poll. Obviously, the top four, no change from what the committee did, A&M five. The Coaches Poll has Cincinnati at number six and Oklahoma at number seven. Uh, really, you know, I, I, I look, I, I would have been perfectly happy with the Bearcats getting in at number four. <laughs> They're undefeated, 9-0. and oh. And frankly, I thought what they did in the AAC championship game, Paul, to, to come out off a month layoff. They did not play for a month because they had a major COVID outbreak on their team. And they come out in brutal weather. I mean, the, it was just a mess of a night in Cincinnati, cold, rainy, and play, they play a, a solid, tough Tulsa team. I thought that was a really good win for Cincinnati. Now, you know, good for them to, to be in a, a bowl game and, and uh, our New Year's Six bowl game. And if they're motivated, I think they'll have a good chance to win. Uh, but uh, should they be disappointed at all that, that they didn't get seriously considered? Yeah, they should be disappointed. Um, and I think the disappointment doesn't stem from, oh, what was us, group of five? We didn't get considered again as, as a whole. Um, that's part of it. But I think this specific Cincinnati team, you wrote a column on it last night. I wrote about it in, as an analysis maybe in November. You just had to watch them play, regardless of the metrics. You just had to watch them play to realize that they could hang with anybody. I'm not saying they could beat Alabama. No, they were not going to beat Alabama. But they could hang with a lot of teams in the country based solely off the way that they play on defense, the physical style of play on offense, and the fact that they might be as balanced as any team in the country. So 
there's a disappointment for this specific team and a feeling that they got left out. Um, but look, if you're overall looking at the, uh, the group of five landscape, I mean, what can you say? This was never going to happen. The, the committee yeah. is not going to put a group of five team in the final four. They're just not going to do it. Um, if they go to eight, you've got to fight to get uh, an automatic bid in there. You've got to, because otherwise, I mean, that's your only hope, but top four, no chance. Yeah. I mean, they had a top 20 offense to go with that defense. That, that's not something you see at the group of five level. So uh, a rare team and a, a great season, but, but not quite uh, good enough to get into the playoff. Uh, Indiana finishes at number eight. Great year for them. Georgia, number nine, Florida slips behind Georgia somehow because they lost a six point game to Alabama. Not sure I'd buy that. Although the LSU loss was bad. Uh, Coastal Carolina, number 11. It'll be interesting to see kind of what happens uh, with, with them as they, as they go into a bowl game. Iowa State, number 12, dropping four spots. Northwestern loses the Big Ten championship, but played well enough to actually move up to number 13. North Carolina, 14. BYU, 15. Iowa, 16. Louisiana, 17. Miami, 18. USC slips to 19, but still ahead of Oregon. Number 20, San Jose State. Let's talk a minute about them. What they did this year to finish 7-0, and they basically had to leave their campus to go play a season because of local restrictions. This is a program that was arguably the worst in, in, in FBS at the time when Brent Brennan took that thing over. And in, in four years to take it from where it was to 7-0 and Mountain West champs is, is remarkable. Yeah, and they spent this year in, in Las Vegas, um, you know, which <laughs> is ridiculous. They're the first people to go unbeaten in Vegas other than the house um, <laughs> ever, right? Um, so San Jose State to go 7-0, beat Boise for Mountain West title, first Mountain West title ever. Um, there are a lot of folks in the mix for Arizona. Not a lot, but there, there are a certain number of names in the mix for Arizona. Um, and I understand the desire and it makes a lot of sense to open up a Polynesian pipeline back to Arizona, because that's been a source of a lot of their great yeah. talent over the years. Um, but what Brent Brennan has done, and you mentioned it briefly, um, longtime Pac-12 assistant under Mike Riley took over San Jose state really on the downswing three and 22, his first two years, five and seven in 2019. And this year's breakthrough, he took no shortcuts at all. And if you're familiar with college football, you know, with all due respect to Lawrence fan and everyone at San Jose state, not a lot of institutional support, not a lot of no resources, support. no resources. resources are very limited at San Jose state. And uh, he really built it from the bottom up. So I don't know who the national coach of the year is. It, it should probably be Saban for how dominant they've been, but Brent Brennan just did an unbelievable, unbelievable job. And if you're Arizona looking for a no shortcut guy, I think there's a reason why he should be a pretty premier candidate. Reminds me a lot of the job that Justin Fuente did at Memphis when Memphis was at the absolute bottom. Now I think there's more resources and support of Memphis. So th this may even be more dramatic. What, what happened with San Jose state and you know, they, they had to go head to head, head up with Boise state, the king of that conference in the championship game and they, and they won. So really, really awesome. Uh, 21 Oklahoma state, 22 NC state, 23 Liberty, 24 Texas, 25 Tulsa, just outside the top 25 Oregon and army. I, I was a little disappointed. Army didn't, didn't sneak in there at the end. Cause they uh, also played and a couple 
uh, or just a, a, a razor thin win over, over air force, but a great season for army to get nine wins. Yeah, they finished nine and two. They scored with a touchdown, I think on fourth and goal with like a minute and change left. Um, so look, they're going to have a bowl game chance to win 10 games, three times in four years at army. That's incredible, incredible achievement for Jeff Monk. And I, I don't know why he's not getting hired by a power five place. All right, Paul, well, you got a flight to catch. I got stuff to do as well today. It's a busy Sunday. CFP selections are in. We will certainly talk again before we get to the playoff season, uh, but it's coming up fast. So next, we will talk to Lou Holtz, and we will talk to you guys next week. Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Adventure, compete, apply, recover, and repeat with excess topical CBD products. Excess CBD creams and spray range from 250 milligrams to 400 milligrams of CBD plus aloe vera, menthol, and arnica montana to deliver topical recovery support within minutes. Unlike many other CBD products, Excess, exclusively from Amway, offers products that either warm or cool the skin, and all Excess CBD products are dermatologist and third-party tested to ensure quality and safety. Get back in the game faster. Follow us on Instagram, at Nation to experience more. And stay tuned after the podcast to learn about new cutting-edge CBD technology and how it's being used to support recovery after exercise with fitness influencer and world traveler, Nicole Lewis. Now, back to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll with Dan Wolken and Paul Meyerberg. Pleased to welcome in this week to the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll podcast, someone who needs no introduction, two-time national championship winning coach, two-time Eddie Robinson and Paul Bryant coach of the year winner, and most recently, presidential medal of freedom winner, Lou Holtz. Lou, uh, how, how you feeling? How you doing? Uh, what's this fall been like for you? Well, with COVID-19 and 220 has been a disaster, but I'm an old man. But the one thing I have learned, that life's nothing more than ups and downs. You're going to get up. You're going to be down. The most important thing when you're younger, you learn how to get up off the ground, brush yourself off, and get back into the contest. On uh, June 30th, I lost my wife of 59 years. She passed away. You know, that's a downer. And then, of course, the receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest honor you can get. But it doesn't define who I am. My family defines that. And life's not determined by the number of breaths you take, but by the number of breathtaking moments you have. And that was a breathtaking moment in the Oval Office. Yeah, Coach, if you don't mind, please walk us through what that day was like for you. Uh, uh, Maybe even go back to when you heard that that was an honor that you were going to receive, what your immediate thought was when when you – found out that you're going to receive the medal. I had no idea that I was even nominated. A young lady named Rachel Duchai uh, looked at my resume and submitted it and got an awful lot of letters, recommendation from Urban Meyer, from Ed Orgeron, from Nick Saban, uh, John Radcliffe, Tracy Graham, et cetera. But it wasn't just about football, although President Trump talked more about that. Uh, you know, our foundation done an awful lot of good things uh, for the homeless center, for diabetics, for cancer. Plus, we uh, have endowed scholarships at seven different colleges. We give $100,000 a year scholarship to trade schools. The Ohio Valley, where my wife and I were, were raised, uh, spoke all over the 
world on uh, motivation, attitude, making good choices, visit 13 different countries uh, for uh, visiting the troops as an officer in the Army. So uh, I didn't know I was nominated, but when I was nominated, my wife knew. She was alive then, and she said to go, please don't tell Lou, I don't want to be disappointed when he doesn't get it. And so when I was notified that uh, when, when I God dog it, when I was notified that uh, I was going to receive it, I, I was flabbergasted. I had absolutely no idea whatsoever that that would happen. So I, I was flattered, I was honored, there are other people probably more deserving, but none more appreciative than I am. Well, and, and you got that day at the White House. Uh, just where, where did that rank to, to actually be part of that ceremony in terms of all the, the great things that you've been able to do in your career and your life? Well, when they told me I was going to receive it, I had the option to have it in the Rose Garden or in the Oval Office. And in the Oval Office, you can have 30 people. I had my family there, grandchildren, and very, very close friends. And we went to the Oval Office, and, uh, you know, they, they prepared you how it was going to happen, et cetera. And then President Trump, who I know pretty well, came in, and we talked. Then after the ceremony, what I was hoping – that I'd be able to get a picture with each and every one of the 30 there with my medal on. But President Trump called me into another room with John Radcliffe and Tracy Graham and himself and me. And we talked about different things, et cetera. But it was an incredible day. It really was. It's sort of one of those unreal days to be in the awful Oval Office uh, to receive that award. And, and I say this, I never in my wildest dreams did I ever think that I, I would ever be nominated for it. Uh, but, you know, you, you're just thankful for the things that happen in your life. But as I say, you're up one day and you're down the next. As a football coach, I tell the team, hey, man, we're going to have three crises on our team this year, and I don't know when they are, but how we react to the crisis is going to determine our success. So when we had a crisis, I'd go, to, hey, man, great news. We only have two more to go. Here's our first crisis. But it's all in how you react to things. And one thing that my wife has taught me was try to keep things in the proper perspective. Nothing's as good as it seems and nothing's as bad as it seems, but somewhere in between reality falls. So this season, Notre Dame, one of your, where you famously won a national championship and had several fantastic teams. Um, they're on the verge of a playoff berth, potentially playing for a national championship. I don't know how many opportunities you've had to follow this team and watch them, but do you have any thoughts on the 2020 Irish and potentially bringing a national championship to South Bend for the first time since you did so in the eighties? I think the two best teams in the country by far are Notre Dame and Alabama. They're the only complete team. You look at Notre Dame, they can run the ball very well. They have an outstanding quarterback at the book, good receivers. They're also outstanding on defense. Under Lee, who's going to go to Vanderbilt as the head coach, has done a tremendous job with that defense. They can stop the running, stop the pass. They play very, very well on third down. So they're a complete team. Alabama is so explosive on offense. They weren't very good on defense earlier in the year, particularly against Ole Miss, but they seem to be getting better. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball with Mac Jones, et cetera. You look at uh, Ohio State, they've only played five games. How do you change your rules to put them in the championship game? Now, no doubt they're one of the top five, but they can't run the ball very well, and they aren't that good on defense. Justin Fields, their receivers, are absolutely outstanding, but they're not a complete team. Clemson has problems in the offensive line. Uh, I, I don't believe there's any way in this world that uh, 
a great quarterback from Clemson is going to duplicate what the freshman did against Notre Dame for over like 400 yards. ETN carried the ball with 28 times for a total 18 yards or one fumble. Now, that's not a reflection on him. He's a great back. It's a reflection on the offensive line, the great defensive line that that uh, Notre Dame has. So I think that Clemson and Ohio State has some uh, flaws. Alabama and, and Notre Dame, I think, will play for the national championship. In the big picture, Lou, what Brian Kelly's been able to do at Notre Dame, you know how difficult that job is and, and how it can grind you down after a period of time, are you surprised he's been able to you know, both last as long as, as he has there and, and gotten it to the point where it's as good now as it's, it's been in quite a while? No, he's, he's an excellent coach. Had a great resume coming in. Uh, I think he's a great coach. I think the schedule has been watered down a great deal in recent years. And consequently, when they play a real, real good team, they don't always react as positively as they should. This is a different football team. Though. This is a confident football team. But he, he's got an outstanding football team. He's done a great job recruiting. He's handled the job with class. We're proud to have him. Uh, Coach, you mentioned Urban Meyer as one of your references for, for the medal about a couple minutes ago. I, I don't know if a, if many people realize or would remember now that you gave Urban his first real chance, and that chance really came about because of your son, um, who arranged, I believe, a lunch between the three of you to convince <laughs> you to sign Urban. Could you please tell us that story of, of how it came together and how Skip was able to convince you to give Urban Meyer a shot at being your receiver coach? Well, Skip had been receiver coach for old Bruce at uh, uh, Colorado State when I hired him. And when he was leaving to become head coach of Connecticut, I'm at the convention. And, you know, you got a million different people that want to talk to you. And Skip said to me, he said, Dad, you, you got to talk to Urban Meyer. He replaced me at, uh, at Colorado State. He's a great coach. I, you gotta talk. I said, no, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I know what I'm going to do. I don't want to talk to anybody. He said, please. I said, no. He said, we have lunch with me. I said, well, I'm leaving tomorrow. If we have it at 11 o'clock, I'll have lunch with you. He said, fine. I go to lunch. The first thing he said to Dad, I want you to meet Urban Meyer. He brought Urban Meyer to lunch. Urban Meyer impressed me so much. I ended up hiring him. The irony of it, though, is a couple of years later, Urban Meyer comes to me and said, Coach, I'm interested in a Bowling Green job. Can you help me? I said, yeah. I know Mike Wilcox, chairman of the board. I played football against Bob Sebo at Salem High School, and he's on the board. I can help you. So he gets the job. Urban Meyer calls me and said, Coach, they offered me the job, and I'm calling to say thank you and to tell you I'm going to turn it down. I said, oh, that's interesting, Urban. Why is that? He said, well, I don't think it's a good job. I said, what's not? If it was a good job, the other guy still be there. Good jobs don't open up. Only bad jobs open up. You take a bad job, you make it a good job. And if it was a good job, why in the world would they hire you? Receiver, coach? Oh, that's impressive. He changed his mind and took the job the rest of his history. Yeah, that's – I mean, Urban Meyer uh, at this point is such a legendary figure in, in coaching of this generation. Did you see something at that point in that – mid nineties as an assistant, whether it was as a recruiter or as a talent developer that gave you a hint that he would be one of these all time winning coaches, national championship winning head coaches. Well, there, there's just something special about it. When you talk to him, he has a great demeanor about him, but, but he has great self-control and he's a very confident individual and he can communicate it. And he does it in such a class class way. You can never tell 
who's going to be a great head coach because too many people, you know, whether they work for uh, Bill Belichick, et cetera, they become head coaches. They try to become like them instead of being yourself, using your own personality, your own thoughts, your own ideas. Urban Meyer went to Bully Green. First thing he did was adopted the, the, the spread offense, which was before its time then. It was the same year that us in South Carolina, we went to the spread offense. So, but if you just be yourself, be honest, be true, and be able to evaluate what you're doing, what you're trying to do, what you have to do to get it done. He's a very smart person. He's very uh, goal-oriented driver. Uh, great rapport with the players, very demanding, yet at the same time, not demeaning to him. And you think he'll get back into coaching, Lou, if you had to guess? Or you think he's happy as where he is on television? Well, who's going to make the decision? Is he going to make it or his wife going to make it? He's got a beautiful wife. I mean, they're a real team. She doesn't want him back in coaching. I think deep down inside. If you can live without coaching, you shouldn't coach. I'm not sure he can live without coaching, but his health is a problem. You know, he's from Ashtabula, Ohio. His father had some health problems, et cetera. But I hope he gets back in because he's such such a positive factor on his players and the game in general. Lou, before we get you out of here, I wanted to ask you about uh, the, the coaches poll. This is uh, a podcast uh, called Inside the Hamway Coaches Poll. And uh, we, we know the AFCA, even though the, the coaches poll no longer uh, determines the national championship, uh, it's still very, very important to the coaches. When, when you were coaching, when you were a voter, uh, how seriously did you take it? Did you have a process in evaluating all the different teams every week? Because we know coaches are very busy. You, you don't have a chance to watch everybody. Well, in all honesty, most coaches have their SID filled out. But I was one of these individuals. I, I'm a football junkie or TV junkie. I watch every game and I possibly can. Even if I was working, I'd have it on. But I, I tried to do a good, honest evaluation. I felt I owed it to the other coaches and players. If I'm on that poll, you know, I should do the best I could. The best job I really tried to do was in the final poll. The final poll is really what meant an awful lot to people. Where are you going to end up finishing up? You want to be as fair and as honest as you possibly can. If they're going to give you the responsibility and the authority to be on that committee, then you ought to do an excellent job. And uh, so I, I, I tried to do that to the very best of my ability at all times. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, continue to uh, uh, make an impact uh, in everything that you do. And, and certainly uh, we hope that 2021 is, is better for you than 2020. Well, thank you. One thing I know in 2021, I'm going to get knocked down, but like you learn when you're younger, you pick yourself up and you get back in the contest. You don't want on self-pity and life's nothing more than making good choices. And the choice to get up off the ground is critical because we're going to have adversity. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Best wishes, Lou. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hope that was okay. That was great. No, that was Perfect. fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Call me again. Okay, great. I'll tell you this. If, if Collins doesn't win the defensive player of the year award, they ought to give it up. The linebacker from Tulsa. Tulsa. Oh, he's, he's phenomenal. Fantastic. Four yeah. interceptions, two run back for touchdowns, like something like six sacks, 11 and a half losses, a safety, and a forced fumble. I don't know what more you do than that. Yeah, we could go on games. and on. We could go on and on. Take care. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's the podcast for this week. Thanks very much to Lou Holtz for giving us a few moments. 
For Paul Meyerberg, I am Dan Walken. We will talk again on the Inside the Amway Coaches Poll before New Year's Day, before the semifinals. Until then, I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas and a safe and healthy and happy holiday season. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to Inside the Amway Coaches Poll from USA Today Sports. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you.